0: This week on the Cinematographologically Speaking podcast, we discuss Ingmar Bergman's 1969 film The Passion of Anna. As the third and final film of Bergman's unofficial island trilogy, the plot examines the extent to which loneliness and suffering persist at the forefront of the human condition. Bergman himself behaves as the Inquisitor as he offers a crucial yet minimal narration that advances the plot along with four scenes in which the quartet of Bergman's actors are interviewed and thus intimately consider the complexity of the character he or she portrays. The central narrative observes the life of Andreas, an emotionally isolated man crippled by the fear of humiliation and his relationship and love affair with Anna, a woman steadfast in her pursuit of truth, though struggling to exist in the aftermath of a car crash that has left her without her husband and child. Together, they attempt to coexist in a world influenced by anguish and despair that far extends the experiences of the individuals affected in the story. In this episode, the cinematographological clan look to appreciate the Swedish auteur's unique filmmaking style in a piece of cinema that blurs the line distinguishing fiction from reality. We hope you enjoy.
1: Welcome to the cinematographologically Speaking Podcast. This is a different intro. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I thought I, is that on the fly? Uh, yeah, I thought I'd switch it up. That was, that was incredible. Thank you. Um, Welcome. Welcome to the Octagon. Uh, yeah, this is the Cinema Panopticon. Uh, anyway, so today we're talking about Passion of Anna, a.k.a. the Passion of Anna, a.k.a. The passion, I think is its original title mm-hmm. um yeah Bergman's uh third film in the so called Island trilogy uh yeah, so we are missing Stephen and Jacob today, which is sad, but uh, the rest of us are here uh valiantly critiquing
2: things Move, moving forward doing god's work moving moving the train along yeah. or something yeah
1: we are uh yeah we're we're, we're we're making progress here so anyway we'll do opening thoughts and then uh, we'll get into the meat of it um also shout out to John for that fantastic intro we Thanks, always Joel. appreciate it thank you john very good no problem um gave us a lot to chew on uh, and we'll probably get around to that stuff. Uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, I'll do. I love this film. This is like, I don't know how many times I've seen it. I don't know, probably like, this is probably my fourth time or something. Um, <coughs> love it. It seems to me the most. Like, I think when I think of the Island trilogy, I think of obviously Hour of the Wolf. And then it seems like each subsequent film is just like. Uh, a further abstraction away from it. Like it's the same story told three ways. With uh mm. with a uh, Passion Man, being the most um like the the elements are the most abstract if that if that makes sense. It's the biggest brain version, I think, uh and just really fantastic. And I caught myself while I was watching it, uh feeling like um, I don't know, we'll talk about that later, I guess. But yeah, I like I like this film a lot yes
3: um this might be like my fifth or sixth viewing uh is definitely got a big soft soft spot for this one in Bergman's filmography um yeah I love this film uh I want to talk about it like all the time like to other people like it just always seems like relevant in a lot of ways (laughs) or like it's just always interesting uh But, yeah, I I love this film. Um, Just as as good this time as it was the other five.
0: Yeah, I really like this movie. Um, It's probably up there with one of my favorite Birdmans. Uh, I'm only saying this because I feel like it's relevant since you guys talked about Marionettes, but I see a lot of connections between this film and Marionettes. Uh, Yeah. Really good.
2: I like this movie a lot as well. This is my first viewing. Um I feel like more viewings would do me so much good. Especially in this film as compared to other ones. Um because as I was watching it I was like kind of thinking like, Wait, what's going on? Like what does this mean? Like what is this for? Like I'm I was like just feeling like I was like just barely grasping onto things. And if I had, like, the totality, like, the film under my belt, and then I could watch it again from the beginning, that would really fill in a lot of gaps for me. Yeah,
1: I definitely agree with that. I remember the first time I saw it, I was so confused. And, like, only on the second viewing did I, like, realize that there were two different people named Andreas or something like that, Yeah, <laughs> like, Like, yeah. Uh, and obviously, you're right, that's intentional, but uh, yeah, like... I think with anything, it's so good to hold on to what you were confused about because you were right. that's like important, but, um, yeah,
2: yeah, I definitely, sometimes, sometimes I'm embarrassed when I'm like confused. Like, I don't know if I should even say that I'm confused that something's going on or that I don't understand something because I don't know if I'm like missing something obvious. So I'm glad the Andreas thing was one of those things that confused me, Mm -hmm. um, I'm still confused at the hear.
1: last line of the film. Me too, although I have some ideas.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think <laughs> no, yeah. Brody, once you truly bow down and worship at the altar of cinema as god, you <laughs> yeah. you will you will then worship everything you feel, confusion included. Okay. Um You'll get it when you're older, I think. Yeah, I'll get it when you am older. <laughs> um, I'll get it when you're older. Oh my gosh! I, I think uh, I think John, I think uh, I think you 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 might be poised in a particularly good position to maybe present uh, a a grand unified theory of this film.
2: Yeah. Do you have any thoughts of oh. the class?
1: Yeah give us some give us some um super symmetry
2: oh i don't
3: know i uh what's hmm. this film about come on um i don't know this film is about like um I, th- I think a lot of it is summed up in uh the cut scene with andreas with, with uh uh max von sidow talking about andreas and talking about his, um, him, how he thinks that Andreas is, uh, has destroyed his ability to, uh, his means of expression, I think is the words he uses. And, um, <clears throat> I think that, like, the film is, is kind of, and then, uh, juxtaposed against Anna, who is, um, like this person who is, like, has not like submitted to being unable to to her like inability to express things and for things to like bend to her will, to her mm-hmm. passion. Like she um it's about the kind of like friction between these two things of somebody who's kind of fortified themselves and inside themselves and like ruined their their uh their even hope for uh, like obtaining some kind of honesty or truth. And then you have Anna who is like striving for it, but clearly has like her own issues. Yeah. And like, this is all, this is all like complicated and, and made more interesting by the, the other couple in the film, Ellis and Eva. And they're kind of the, uh, especially, especially Ellis for Andreas. He's like the, the ideal for Andreas of like someone who is able to, completely give up the idea of truth and passion and, and obtaining like, yeah, obta- obtaining something. Cause mm-hmm. he's, he's uh he's a total like materialist and cynic. Um, and he's just accepted that and seems comfortable and happy and, he, and, uh, living in that. And so, yeah, so it's about, it's about like this friction between all of these different things. Um, of like expressing oneself and being unable to and tr- submitting to the idea that y- you can't express yourself or whatever or yeah yeah I don't know this is a little rambly but that's kind of generally what I think about when thinking about this film. So you
1: see, yeah, uh, I don't know. You see, Andreas about... as the sort of foil to or where do you see andreas with respect to like the attitudes and worldviews put forth by ellis and anna and where does because like i see them as like well the spectrum, yeah there and then yeah they, yeah, Epa, yeah uh sort of just like exists in this periphery or, or something yeah, Eva
3: is kind of, like, outside of it all. Like, she's just completely lost. Like, she's not trying to commit to or submit to anything the same way the rest of the characters are, or, like, trying to escape anything. She's just completely... I, I, I honestly... Eva is, like, the the person who confuses the, me the most in this film as far as, like, how exactly she fits in. Not to say it doesn't feel as though she does, but... Um, yeah, but yeah, no, I'd agree that Ellis and Ellis and and Anna are like the foils for each other, and that okay, yeah, Ellis and Anna are the foils for each other, and and and, Andreas is kind of stuck between the two, um, uh, in some way.
2: Wouldn't you consider um, I'm um, what's her name again? Eva? The uh, Ava's to be stuck in between the two, as well, because you know she in that dinner conversation where they're talking about her belief in God. She reveals a yeah. sort of like agnosticism. And to me, that, you know, shows that she is actually like in an in-between state. Um,
1: I'm not one uh, yeah. thing one thing I, I, one mean, thing I think I, about that is just that she tells the story about God and then when posed with like a serious question of do you believe in God? She like kinda of stutters a bit and then kind of says, Yes, well no, and then to Alice says, "Do I believe in God?"
3: And yeah, she like defaults. Yeah, like I feel like on, yeah, like, that's that's true. The, like yeah, of the on people the there, she's
1: the only one that doesn't. Apart from Andreas, who's kind of this like spectator or something, like she doesn't really put forth any theory or attitude.
2: Or is it, yeah, she's a bit of a shell. Yeah, something yeah,
1: like
3: this. yeah, and she, yeah. But she literally says that, and, and and like she says that she's she's just an empty. Mm-hmm. I think she actually uses the word shell. And, right, and, but then you have like i don't know andreas is is he doesn't he like wants to default on ellis's view like he holds him in high regard and stuff uh maybe in the same way eva does but he's got like this sense of pride and then he he suddenly has this like resentment for ellis later uh when he has like this little uh uh relationship with eva and like Mm -hmm feels as though he's like sheltering her and protecting her and giving her something that Ellis isn't. And, and so then he starts to kind of, and then he resents Ellis. So he's got this like tension of between like wanting to be like Anna or whatever with her, her previous husband, Andreas mm-hmm. and, and, and with wanting to be like Ellis. Um,
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, r- I found um. Anna, and her like very, in her in that dinner table scene to be like. I don't know, like I thought what she was saying was like really true, but something about her immediately, came off to me as like, unlikable and like disingenuous and a bit like, over. Moralized, and I'm glad that, that force, uh, saw its way through. The rest of the film that I don't know I'm just noting that the writing was really good and her acting was really good that I had this inkling that there was something wrong or off about her that ended up actually being the case well the first thing
1: we learn about her right is that and this like constantly gets reappears visually this like uh physical and psychological violence is that like right her husband is like trying to get away from her. Right, and mm-hmm. like that 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 he's like almost afraid of her, and that she's got you know this stuff, and then she's at the table preaching about you know living in a, for spiritual perfection, and how she was a great success with her marriage and stuff, yeah, but like we kind of know that that's not the case, or at least we think we know it's not the case um yeah, I don't know, I think she also comes up, I love that dinner scene, there's like a crazy amount of stuff to like unpack i I think. I'll try and pull it up here, but uh like we see chess multiple times and like this whole idea of like communication games and stuff, and the uh I don't know, she comes off as like naive or something, especially yes, compared yes, naive. especially compared yeah. to like the cool patrician Ellis, who's like you know above it all sort of say, or like the way the situation is just like inherently framed as Alice. The materialist who like it's he he the actor whatever Johan or what is it Johansson describes anyway, he describes a character as like someone who will not be kept up at night by the madness of humans or something like yeah, he, or human yeah. suffering you know he, he and and how and and if you don't adopt his perspective then like one cannot function and so like the way he frames it. Or like if you accept that frame, then like what we're looking at for the most part are characters unable to function with like the incongruity of life and their expectations of it, like when like mm-hmm. Liv's little speech, which I think is probably the best of the the group. Or like she stands in contrast, I think, um, like Liv Ullman's interview in contrast to the other interviews, which are so interesting, just that they exist. But like I'll have to look I'll have to look at the I'll have to look at the notes or something, but, um, anyway, she talks about how, like, honesty, like, the problem with honesty is that you expect others are playing the same game or, like, have the same beliefs or something, yeah. and, like, uh, the world is not responding to her the way she thinks it ought to be, ought to, and, like, she also says, like, whatever, when she's giving her big monologue telling the story of her marriage and death of the family. Mm-hmm. Like she's like I didn't think life would be like this and stuff like this.
4: Hmm.
1: Anyway,
3: um. Uh, she knocks over the chess pieces just to yeah. say the the actor's name. He's so all pissed. <laughs> the actor's name is uh, Erland Josephson. Josephson is the
0: yeah. <clears throat> Brody, did you, uh, as the film progressed, did you, in any way, start to sympathize with Anna? Or was um, it like she is, uh, trying to live in this pursuit of almost delusion the whole time? So, my answer is no.
2: I, I mean, I sympathize with her at the very beginning, because of this whole like money situation. But then once it was revealed, uh, in the letter that there are some like problems in her marriage, and then especially after that dinner scene where she's you know, like, super, like, preachy and, like, moralizing about, like, truth and, like, all this sort of stuff, um, it became, like, she immediately became, like, this really, like, off-putting, disingenuous character. Because while, like, all the other characters, like, have their faults and, like, have, like, their problems, they're not the ones, like, being preachy and, like, super... Yeah, I guess that's the best way to put it. it is like not being super preachy about like what is to, to be like good and things like that. They're simply like trying to live. Would you would you think that maybe disingenuous might not be the right
3: word? Because I feel like she really means everything she says, but like she might be wrong and it might mm-hmm. be something that she doesn't agree with like an hour later or something or like I think I feel like that's kind of the whole thing with her character. Is she says what exactly she is like, uh, like speaking to her as being the truth, right in that moment, all the time. And so she, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I I might well, disagree with. Disingenuous I mean, she's, def- she's definitely she's definitely
2: disingenuous, or she's definitely lying in the quality and how her marriage turned out. Um, and then even when confronted with, "Have you ever failed?" Like, is there any like failings then she like won't even answer the question um so i don't know maybe i'm using the word like disingenuous wrong but i definitely think she's like a liar and when she's when she speaks of all these like things about truth and like how to live it might be it might be true in the sense of like it is a good way to try and act but it's false in the way that she's actually trying to implement it in her or in her own life because it seems like she's not even trying um she's rather just using it as like a veil and for and like a an illusion in order to like protect herself from um i don't know like the harshness of reality or something like that
3: i feel like i feel like she is totally exposing herself though to the harshness of reality by demanding that it bend to her standards
4: Hmm.
3: versus like ellis who has he doesn't strive for anything yeah because a bit of a pushover because well he's not not necessarily no he's not a pushover he's he's, well no he's just decided that he's not going to let the harshness of reality bother him or get to him because he's not going to try to impose anything on it which like is illustrated in his like, uh, uh, like more philosophically when he's, uh, talking about his photographs and he talks about like I have all of these categories and blah 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 and he's like trying to categorize everything and then he immediately like talks about like how meaningless all the categories are and mm-hmm. is just as meaningless as collecting things in the first place. So it's like he doesn't he doesn't even expose himself to get um, I mean so yeah to contrast that to Anna he just doesn't expose himself at all. To any kind of criticism, because he already knows it's meaningless right, or has accepted that it's meaningless, and i feel like I feel like what makes Anna like anna's um delusion like a kind of noble or like respectable delusion is mm-hmm. the fact that at least she at least she hopes for something for yes. like anything yes. and 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 so while this may never play out for her. And it may have never been true for her. I think that there is like still a core to what she is not just saying but what she's doing that is that is ultimately true or something that like um is yeah i mean is 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 a mode of living that should be like adopted in some i way.
2: i I totally agree with that that like her like what she says is like more of a better way to live and what she puts forth is um like uh, a pretty good idea um but like like her main flaw is that she uh I think like through like seeking the sort of like perfection in this idea that she um like doesn't How do I say this? Like, then she doesn't open herself up to any sort of, like, problems. And it ends up being all, like, sort of, like, tucked away and, like, trying to, like, hide. Because, like, she's trying to, like, impose this... I don't even know if she's really trying to impose perfection. Because it seems like she's trying to like, build a world, like, a made-up world in her head about how perfect things are without actually trying to do anything about it. Because, like, in what way is she even trying to, like, enact her will into the world, do you think?
3: Well, she's, I mean, she's at all times, like, expressing exactly how she feels. Like, she's never, she's never not, she's never not, like, She's never bending like her uh means of expression to what she would like it to be mhm like so so her so the, so so like her imperfection in her like marriage i think is due to the fact that she's chosen to express herself constantly, whereas Ooh. like if you take like andreas like our andreas not her Again. old andreas like if you take him like he's constantly lying about how things are all fine. Like mm-hmm. whenever she confronts him about it, he's like no, it's fine. Because I mean, and so he's he's striving for this perfection in a relationship that does not that avoids the issue. But um if I can ask you, wh- wh- what do you think about the what do you think about the end um when they're in the car and she says and he like is like uh just ripping her apart you know and then he like brings up and then he says uh why did you like come to the fire to get me and then she says to ask for forgiveness yeah and I feel as though like I don't know I see that as like that moment being like a very pivotal moment in kind of shutting down any idea that her um Cause I mean, I don't think she's asking for forgiveness just out of like fear of losing him or something like that. Like, it seems to be like a uh, very pure, I did something wrong, you know, when like the situation, I mean, he was like beating her, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and I mean, yeah, just what, what do you, what do you think about that then? Hmm. Like in contrast to like what Andreas might've done or what he's
2: doing yeah I'm not sure i don't i don't have any no no thoughts are immediately jumping to my mind here i have, um,
1: yeah go I ahead. have all the answers. I understand this film imperfection well, you two were blabbering about i was architecting the unified okay. theory. <laughs> Why does she say to ask for forgiveness because okay, so right there's all this okay. I'm gonna draw a bit on shame, especially and stuff, but there's all this stuff about right? like we we keep talking about like base reality versus like constructed narrative that she wants to impose on it. And Ellis as being like the one who just lives in base reality with with and and actively works against any attempts to narrativize it so as to not expose himself to incongruity, right and and thus like show that the narrative is just a husk, right? This, like, projection thing. Whereas Anna, I think, is not trying to claim that reality is the narrative, right? But obviously, like, she wants to, right, synergize or, or she wants to, yeah, like you guys are saying, overlay this narrative in and and basically, like, come up with a narrative such that it is congruous with reality like mathematics or something right like a separate abstract thing that is is right a priori narrativization but also works with reality such that like reality uh like verifies the truth of the narrative you know okay like the way like oh math is so true because it just works anyway so no so she she wants to like and, and and then I see Andreas is sort of like, right, torn between the two, like desiring the freedom from humiliation that he talks about, right? He wants to be free like Ellis's to totally disregard narrative and just engage in material or something, which like is, I don't know, in a vacuum, not humiliating. Whereas like this, like... Like being unsuccessful in life. Like uh, Johan, the guy who gets pissed on and beaten and commits suicide.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Like uh, like what's so humiliating is the incongruity between narrative and reality or, or something like this. Anyway, so blah, 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 blah. A bunch of stuff. But I think she apologizes. What she feels that she has done wrong is brought them into like, base animal reality, and it especially feels animal due to shame, which uh, I know you haven't seen, right, Brody? But um, she is venomous to him, right? She says, I don't like Mm -hmm. you, I don't this, right? She, for the first time in the film, seems to be truly honest, right? In, in, In terms of, like, speaking fact or something like this because right? there's mm-hmm. like part of like what I, and what stands out to me about this film is there's all this confusion about what is honesty. Like, what do you even mean by honesty? What do you mean by truth? Like, he talks about lies, and Andrea's like, what lies? Like, like not only does he maybe not know what she's specifically referring to, but like doesn't even understand what constitutes a lie and what doesn't, given that they exist in this like weird facade relationship or something. Like, they're two traumatized people, and like they're anyway. So. Well, no, the trauma thing is crazy. Kate, okay? like, assume they're both, like, I don't know, I feel like a lot of it has to do with trauma too, right? Like, they're both traumatized by extreme incongruity between, like, the narrativization of life and life itself, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, her husband and child are dead, and either she killed them or, you know, at least we don't, I don't really think we, I don't think that we're supposed to think she killed them until the end. In which case i don't know what we do think but anyway right like her her child and husband died in this horrible car wreck he has had this sort of like failed marriage lawsuit gone to prison now escaped to this place where like he no longer exists in like the zeitgeist you know and um and then they try and come together and act like they're normal people again when like they both have this vision of true love lost and life you know lost and now they want to try and rebuild a new narrative anyway So when she's, like, truly venomous to him and is tearing him down, right, she, like, brings them down into, like, the material world and outside of narrative where... Mm -hmm. And and so he acts like an animal, right? He beats her up and whatever. And then when she's, like, I wanted to apologize, I think she wanted to apologize for doing what she seems as non-truth. Like, I think she is, like, saying that like uh like the version of truth she wants to live in is one that is constructed if that makes sense because i think there's all this confusion of what does she mean by truth and i think here it's verified that what she means is like a story we engage in so as to live properly and just avoid material or something but then it's all a
2: bit confused as to what you mean by animal Yeah, you can finish sorry um, I just mean
1: I don't know I'm 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 drawing pretty heavily on shame, okay. But just like this idea that like the material is animal instead of like mm. human dignity and all this stuff. You have as Ellis describes, you know, disgusting, dreadful people. Who will now be
2: able to engage in cultural activities you know iron or satirically right like and and how and how has she like and what are what are the things that she's done that like that has brought him into that like what are some things that- well they've
1: both via trauma been thrown into like been like forced to contend with the material world and like the animal world or something right okay and then her vision of the future is to like regain regain um like the non-animal like the love and the the strong narrative that's congruent yeah but she and so they're living in relative peace and lack of passion as the narrator says who by the way i didn't know the narrator was bergman um they're they're they're, they're getting along right they're living this narrative they're doing okay right and then she ruins it by saying like you're disgusting you're evil which, just like his ex-wife did, right? Like, you're t- you're a filthy, awful person. I don't like you at all. I hate being with you. You no. know, this is so unpleasant. Like, I don't like this. You're bad. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is, like, too truthful. Right? Like, she expresses her, like, super base truth thoughts. Yeah. Uh, and so... Like destroys the facade and forces them to contend with the fact that like what they've been engaging so, in is a facade, is a narrative, and just that.
2: And so, hmm, and then he's an animal to it, right? I see. So like, I see. So like, through like this absolute like attempt to like enact truth, you're then like then destroying the uh, the narrative. Yeah. And then and then like the narrative that is like needed to live. Yes. She she wants. But to, then yeah. but then okay. But then that would that would like pose the idea that like the narrative isn't truth. Which like, I don't know, yeah like, that's that's like kind of that's like kind of crazy to me to to think to think that that really rocks my world,
1: yeah i I get the sense that she wants to be truthful only so far as the lie permits, like the lie being the narrative that they're okay, they're not super traumatized animals, like you know the lie that they can love each other and whatever, like mm-hmm. like that framing will only permit a certain amount of truth to be spoken, and like she goes too far. In this, like, misguided thing, right? And destroys the illusion of their relationship, or
2: something is how I'm saying it. You know, do, do you, yes, I understand. Do you think that the film, and she apologizes, Laura Bergman, I think is hmm. like, is posing like the idea that, like, all, um, say, like, relationships or are like a facade like are like have to like be engaged in this lie or or do you think it's something specific about them
3: well i mean maybe but but i don't think i don't think that it devalues the 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 truth of the facade i I definitely no i definitely
2: i definitely agree with that but well
1: i think jaw i don't know exactly what you meant by you know uh or like I want to hear more about the similarities you see between this and life of Marionettes. but I think like one core thing that's one at a bunch of Bergman films um and marionettes or whatever is just like right like the like um like modern conception of separateness as like who's that there's some philosopher from f r o m m sees as like the fundamental human problem is just like right the the incommunicability of one's thoughts to another or something like this, right? So like, uh, I think these are people who, right? Like, like, uh, recall the scene where they're in infinite black talking to each other, right? And I think it's meant to give you the strong impression that they're finally being honest with each other, right? Mm-hmm. And importantly, it's mostly Andrea speaking and her saying, I understand. I understand completely. I totally understand you. I totally, right? And I think this is really just a lie. This is like just a very compelling lie where she is trying to give the sense of non-separateness that she wants, like that she feels that she had with her old partner, this feeling of becoming one, right? This like myth of love and all these things, right?
2: Yeah. And
1: But then, uh, anyway, so I think there's a problem with separateness in terms, like he's talking about relationships too, but I think it's, it's also just like a discussion of like how how is one to go about narrativizing their life and like dealing with the incongruities between narrative and life, and uh, also trauma. Um, I think trauma is a big thing. Go
3: not not to take away from the point you're making with the infinite black uh, scene where they're having a conversation, uh-huh. um, but I view that scene as um, possibly just not actually happening and more as some kind of, like, um, uh, like, a, I don't know, the scene, scene where we get to see, like, how they would like to communicate and how they would like to express mm. themselves and that this mm. is something that didn't actually happen, but this is more just, like, a a realization of of what's going on internally and how they like it to go or something like that but i mean i don't think that that hurts hurts no what yeah, you're saying it's like the same thing right but i
1: agree there i mean yeah. there's this totally unreal nature of it of course with like the infinite black yeah and this which this that's thing.
3: yeah that's exactly i mean it seems like it seems like it's a total it's a total break in the way they have been communicating and, and yeah, and then the, the, con- the obvious like constructedness of what's going on, like it's obviously lit and it's obviously, and they've got this black background and all this, mm-hmm. like, it, it seems as though this is their own narrative of how they would like it to be, and which is, I mean, that's what he expresses. Like when he's talking as well, like he says, like something like, uh, this is that, like he, he, he stops himself from, from saying these things and that he like keeps himself from from
2: being happy um yeah so all right Troy, do you have something to say first uh just that totally agree it's
1: got this huge sense of unreality and like the only thing that'd be appended to what i said would be like like instead of her lying it's just a lie like this is a lie yeah like this is a vision of non-separateness that yeah, yeah, she's
3: yeah, she's on. not. Yeah, I don't, I don't think she's lying in this so much as this is, um, this is the way it would be if she was able to act this way, or him, yeah, and same with him, yeah. or him. And then the
1: yeah. only thing I want to add is just I think that the her, her to ask for forgiveness, right, is like right sincere, supposedly, um, but I imagine mm-hmm. it as a sincere apology for being too truthful, and but it has brought out in him, right, his barrage of attacks on her in the car, right, have, like, like, it's the same thing that she did, right? Like, he's attacking, right, he's attacking back with, like, you know, uber truth, and the damage is, like, they, 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 the damage is so far, you know? And then, Right. right, he's left deciding, you know, between, will I also apologize and like seek to regain the narrative the unreal narrative like right he's like choosing you know he walks back and forth like he's going to go back to her no 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 he's going to choose material freedom the wilderness no he's going to go back right and then he he's going back and forth and then you have the the zoom in on the zoom in and like it you know it just becomes so he just dissolves constantly stuck in limbo
2: so um this is, this is going to be awfully loose because I haven't thought about this very much. So hopefully you guys can guide me through this. Let's go! But, but, so the ending scene where this is like, this time his name is Andreas Winkleman. And then, so I sort of assumed that like, what this meant was like, because the whole like, like part of like the film is like, they're trying to like find like who the killer of is in these like animals. And then, like, so this time his name is Andreas. Like, this time he's the killer. Like, he's the one who like, killed off this, like, this lie, like this um, this, like, facade. And then, so it's interesting to me that you say, like, the animal world. And maybe this is a common theme in Bergman movies. But, like, I don't know, there's something there about, like, the killing of animals, like, the animal world, like, him being the killer this time but obviously not of an animal but of like this facade i don't know can can somebody help me like form this into a better idea here do you see where i'm going well, we could talk about the animals
1: i am the only thing i see so far is that you're saying you're drawing an analogy between like the killing of the narrative the facade and the killing of these animals but i'm not sure how I feel about it. But we could talk about the Well, I mean you animals.
2: mentioned the animal the you mentioned yeah. the animal world. And, and so that seems relevant to me. And I don't know right. if the animal world is a direct line or or something specific from um the other movie you you, you were mentioning. Shame. Uh
1: definitely. I mean like you should see it, but there's definitely just this idea of like trauma, like just humans devolving from narrative to animal basically.
2: And it just it seems relevant that there's right? yeah the killing no, the animals. yeah, it seems relevant, but
3: i don't I don't know I don't know if there's a point to be made about the killing of the the narrative and the killing of the animals but but as far as like like what I see the killing of the animals as is um well at least partially is like this constant um like reminder that we come back to of the the awfulness of the real world by this like kind of unexplainable act or whatever that somebody is committing. Mm-hmm. all the time all around him and it just makes it makes the the material world and like the horror of reality and like inexplicableness like omnipresent
1: yeah i usually t- i don't i think i'm i'm pretty confused by the killing of the animals but that is somewhat close to my perception of something like it's a further abstraction of violence and like this war going on around them where like in you know, Brody, cover your ears. But, right, like in 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 Hour in of the Wolf, right, the, the violence is extremely close to home, just in terms of it's at, like, this individual level. And then in Shame, it's, like, at this geopolitical level, but also personal, but it's a little more abstracted out to, like, these grand forces that are, you can't really put a finger on. And then in this film, the, the violence is abstracted to, like, this mysterious force in the wilderness that's, like, just, you know, killing animals... Like, the killing of animals is, like, obviously distinct from killing of people, but, like, it's reframed a bit by the constant comparison of people to animals or something like this. Like, I don't know, I see it as some kind of abstraction of violence to be just some force out in the woods rather than a force at your front door rather than, like, a force within you to go backwards through the films, well,
2: But I don't, I don't attempt know. to an attempt to shoehorn my original idea into this, uh, the, like... Like wouldn't you say that there is like an arbitrariness in the way that humans, in general slash the uh, Andreas and Anna, are, um, like killing off their relationships because like like wouldn't like wouldn't it be easier for them, or wouldn't it be, theoretically something that could be done that they do just continuously live in this lie forever and they ne- and they never like have this outward and like this compelling thing in them to like speak this ultimate truth that ends up yep. just killing off the whole thing. Well this
3: is what this is what Ellis and Eva live in. Mm-hmm. Um they live in in this kind of constant complacency with this is how our relationship is and that's the way it's gonna be. And Ellis is committed to that but Eva isn't and mm-hmm. you have this whole thing where like Eva can't live in that. I mean she's she's submitted to it in some sense, but not, not in the same way Ellis has, where Ellis has some kind of um closure to it. Where yeah. Eva is like I mean you have you have BB Anderson in her like little interview thing where she says like she thinks that she might kill herself. That's true. Um, but she hopes that other and, people save her. Yeah, that's true. Yeah she true. hopes that other people save her and then her. there's like, also, she can't save herself.
2: There's also that part where like he knows that at one point his wife was cheating on him but then it when it stopped he said like i didn't even dare to ask like he just doesn't even want to confront or like even engage in potentially exposing some sort of truth that might dissolve the the lie
3: well yeah i mean it's not it was not even it's i don't think it's that though i don't think that he doesn't even impose a narrative he just sees it as something his wife did Mm-hmm. And it bears no consequence because there's no such thing as consequences. Like mm-hmm. there's no such as, this is not a meaningful act because she can't commit meaningful acts and mm-hmm. neither can he. And so the relationship continues because there's no conforming to a narrative in the first place. So much, yeah. yeah. So maybe, maybe my original like hopping on of like saying that even Ellis are living inside, like his complacency is a little bit wrong. Um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe that's like what like I I mean, yeah, I guess I guess that that puts Anna and Andreas's uh, relationship in in a different position in my mind just because um, Andreas in some ways wants what Ellis has and in some ways doesn't like we've talked about before. And so it's like I think he both like wants the narrative like he's got like three things like he wants the narrative and then he also but like the narrative comes with this like passion or whatever that destroys the narrative and then he has this uh complete uh uh complacency or like apathy towards towards the world that he wants to adopt as well.
1: Mm. Ellis is so based.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was I throughout the film I was thinking about how based he was, but I don't know if I was even supposed to think that like I don't know it almost it almost seemed like i was like his his total like apathy towards the world and his unwillingness to impose any any sort of will is uh it's very anti Nietzschean you know but well,
1: he's like he's the only person who actually has decided you know what he's gonna do. And I love the photography scenes. I love the whole thing. And I love that he... um, Like... uh, I think there's this moment where Andreas suspects Ellis of, like... Only ever actually being in a narrative. um, Where he... Like, Ava is like... Right? Like, she asks Ellis, do I believe in God? Right? Like, Ellis is like this... Right, like she wants to exist in his worldview, but can't do mm-hmm. it. And uh like this is evident by like her like whining and crying to Andreas on the night of their first uh you know, Coitus experience. Uh the Joe Coitus experience. Anyway, then and and uh anyway, when Alice when is like talking about making a loan out to Andreas and he's like, "You've been to prison, yeah." You know, he's like, "Well, you know, you you talk about it like you're a whatever, like a, a beaten down dog." And Andreas is like, "I am a beaten down dog." Ellis says, "Do you bite?" And he says, "You'll see." And Andreas and and Ellis gives him this look like, "What? Like what? Yeah. What do you mean?"
2: What would you just fucking say?" "Yeah, would you just
1: fucking say?" And Andreas is like, <laughs> "Uh, I'm no, nah, I don't bite. I don't bite." And and I don't know because I felt like, so <laughs> I feel like Andreas was <laughs> like. Making some dig at him like, oh, you know, I have sex with your wife, and like, you know, I don't know. It, it seems like it's something you would he would say to Alice, thinking that Alice is actually playing a narrative or actually is in some game, right? Like it, it becomes this game thing just for a quick moment, and Alice is like, this isn't a game. What are you talking like or something? I don't know. I had some feeling like that, but another thing I sort of neglected earlier. Or neglected in previous viewings is just how important it seems that Ellis cried at the death of their unborn son and or child, right? Yes. Ava was pregnant. Got too much medication, and um. Just that, either this indicates that Ellis is act instead of like being a, you know, a self-actualized materialist or something he is in reality just hidden so deep away behind these walls or whatever, you know? Like like he is mm-hmm. right? He actually he's just um right? Like fighting his the the natural human urge to narrativize, like they're engaging in the proper way of life. Yeah. Or it indicates that like children are like children like or potential. Yeah, yeah, they 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 are truly of great value in either scenario or something like this Mm -hmm. but i i kind of lean towards the former of like the child like potential right like if children symbolize anything it's like infinite potential and like the loss of which potential seems to only make sense as value in a narrativized world yes because potential to do potential to do what engage in infinite acts of meaninglessness, right? Like Yeah. Yeah. So so I suspect Alice is actually just buried deep in this whole this little child comment is is meant is like an actual attitude put forth by the film to say there's really only one way to live or something like there is Yeah, you know,
3: and at that point, at that point, um I mean once we move past that, Ellis kind of disappears. Ellis and Eva, Eva disappear from the narrative after that. Like they become, um, and then it becomes between Andreas and, and, and Anna, which I think, I, I mean, to, to ride with that point that you're making, maybe it's like this, this moment is a lie, is some kind of, uh, conclusion on, Ellis and Ava's relationship as being even a viable option for Andreas and that like now we're moving on with him and um, Anna's relationship. And this is like the only, and he has to figure it out like through this because this is the only way to live, which is. Yeah. Which, as I said, like the narrative, the narrativization comes with this like passion or whatever that constantly destroys the narrative or whatever. And like but but yeah, I mean, it's after that point. I'm pretty sure it's directly after that that you have um this jump in time right i mean isn't it where this
1: point meaning the like do i buy thing or the story of the dead child
3: story of the dead child isn't no. directly after that the no? no the
1: story of the dead child is right after they've had sex for the first time yeah oh, maybe there is some jump jumping and time. right
3: after yeah and right right after that is when He's back in the photo studio and they're talking and, um, hold on. We're, we're looking at the movie right now. We're going to see, uh,
1: we have the animal. Yeah, you're right. Then yeah. A yeah. 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 It's a, it's, a, it's, it's
3: immediately jumped Anna. the time and now he's already, he's already in a relationship with Anna and this is like the conclusion where like, um, to like Ellis and Ava and like now Andreas, like is kind of I mean, he's forced into a position that, like, he has to live this way. Mm -hmm. Like, he cannot be Ellis.
1: Yeah, and that's, like, the real, yeah, the real rock and a hard place. Because it's not even, like, trying to figure out between, like, narrative and material. It's, like, choosing between the impossible. I don't know. If you want to say that the material is not, like, it's not possible to actually live like that. And it's really just a narrativization. In its own right. But like yeah. choosing between We're, this impossible life. Or choosing between one of like radical humiliation.
3: Yeah but I mean both, both are impossible. Like both are unattainable. Because one, one is like disavowing of like kind of the desire cycle. Or something like this. Um, or, or narrative. And one is like to choose to try to believe in a narrative that doesn't exist or can't exist. In like because of friction between it and the real world. Mm. Which is where Anna lives, and so like both both are both are impossible, but one is seen as like the only way to to actually live, and he's caught between like these two like impossibilities of achieving like uh, uh, a way to be in the world.
1: This is so marionettes, Joe. What were you thinking when you're saying that they're similar? Because I agree strongly, but I'm not exactly sure. Um,
0: more so. I don't even really, I've been trying to figure out how to articulate it, but it's like this Inquisitor-like style to, um, whether it be the narrative or whatever that the characters are trying to live by, through Through their interactions with others, we go underneath Their their facade or whatever it may be. I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, um, mm-hmm. it's like the job of the director, the audience, and the characters to, to, uh, I I don't know. Like, go go underneath like, or something. Yeah.
3: Like deconstruct and then reconstruct the narrative that we've like chosen to believe in or mm-hmm. something like that.
0: Yeah.
2: Hmm. You know before. I feel really uh uncomfortable with this idea that the narrative as like a lie. You know, if you asked me like, you know, an hour ago, <laughs> I would have told you I would have told you that the narrative is is ultimate truth. Um
1: Well, I think that's what this... Anna's affirmation is in the end. The I came to apologize.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is to say like I'm like if we if we hold that the I apologize and also hold that she is on a mission to achieve spiritual perfection and total honesty. Like, why would she apologize for telling the truth? I think it's because she sees the narrative as the ultimate truth. Like, this is the only way to live and we need to try harder.
2: Mm hmm. Yeah, like maybe just, I suppose.
1: Maybe the narrative deepens, right? Like, I don't know. Do, does the narrative have to be based on lies or like, can you have. I don't know. Like you want to say, like, yeah, well, lives. can well, can't we just say lives? the yeah, super like, honest stuff and maintain the narrative? But I think not, because attempts to speak radical honesty are met with the like impenetrable wall of separateness.
2: And you know, like when she was talking about her marriage before, it's like, oh, you know, we were we were always absolutely honest with each other, mm-hmm. but. um but you know there was no, there's nothing like, what was it? What was the word like? No poison or something like the idea yeah, we is, fought, like, but it was like, never poisonous. We never, we never yeah, it was never, it was, never, it was yeah, it was never like bad. But then obviously like, that totally contradicts what we see happening later, which is like through absolute honesty, it absolutely like destroys the relationship. I don't know if that's. Well, I think
3: I think it's it's something like it's something like. You need to be totally honest but then agree that the what you are pursuing is compromise after the honesty. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not I'm going to be honest and I'm going to die on this hill. It's I'm going to be honest and then I will ask for forgiveness for the way that I that I am at this time or something like that and I will compromise like for for you. And like that's that's like what what the 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 narrative so it's like the the narrative holds uh, primacy, but it's not let's be dishonest. it's let's be honest, but decide that this is that mm-hmm. like w- neither of us is more important than than the narrative we're going to both compromise ourselves for.
1: Okay. yeah, like honesty and serve honesty in service of the narrative but mm-hmm. but I and I think this matches up with my sense, like my more intuitive sense about the film that Andreas is sort of like caught in the middle of these forces. Whereas those forces are more self assured, so like Anna, like I don't know, it seems like it you know, matches up with Liv Ulman interview talking about Anna, where she says like the problem with honesty is that like you can't like the problem of other people not having the same beliefs as you. So like she if like she'll try and put forth honesty in turn in service of this narrative. But Andreas doesn't believe in the same narrative or something. So and he responds with an honesty of a different kind or something like I don't know, maybe one thought. Also at some Mm -hmm. point I want to talk about other like more some film things. I
3: wanna talk about the dream.
1: The dream. What do
0: you make of that uh the scene where Anna drops the bowl of milk?
2: I wanted to talk about that one too. Experiment. I don't know, but if that I don't have much to say about it. much to say about it, but um, I'll go. I'll go first. Are praising because mine's, us, but... because mine's not, mine's not big brain. Alright, Brody. I, I talk just, about I, 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 I <laughs> when I saw that scene, dude, I started to hate. I started to hate her. <laughs> I was like, dude, what is? I was like looking no, at him, like, dude, what is your problem? Crowd. Like, like. Yeah, I was like, so I was, oh my god! I was like, oh my god! This this lady, man, like she's psycho. That that's it. That's my small. This brain is take. this is so
3: crazy because this is like everything that you said, like about like not being sympathetic towards towards Anna, is just like the the complete opposite of my experience. Every time I watch the movie, I feel more for Anna. Yeah, like wow. I, I I I want I want more that like Anna achieves what she's striving for and that like. And that I see, I see her as like more tragic yeah. um, rather than somebody to be condemned.
1: Have you guys interacted with, this is related, but have you, have you guys interacted with people who are like crazy due to trauma?
2: Oh, I mean, I talked to you. <laughs>
1: no, I mean, seriously, yeah. like people, people who like have experienced like trauma, trauma, and now like you can totally tell that they are just trying to be normal or something like they're trying you, you know like like like, yeah. like they're basically yeah. crazy because they like either had some like awful childhood or some whatever you know and they're like trying to navigate the world but they but like uh if you guys this is how i see anna
2: i mean like, I, I know the kind of person you're talking about but i don't know if i've really interacted with somebody like that or at least not can as I, as well. let, let me really. tell you yeah, a
1: celebrity I example celebrity example Yeah, I was
3: actually I was actually just talking to my friend about this. My friend asked me what I thought of Russell Brand. (laughs) And I was like, and I was like, at first I I was like, yeah, he used to seriously annoy me. I was like, he's not that like, I don't find him that funny most of the time, blah, 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 blah. But now I view him in like, like I read a little bit about his past. And like now every time I view him, I just see this kind of like, very broken person. Like he's very much like a misfit or something like this, and that he's like uh not so much trying to be normal, but uh this might be like not to your point at all, but i just it just popped in my head
1: no yeah i mean like you could i mean i don't actually know, but you could describe like like he could be someone not trying to be normal per se, but trying to like like trying to be something in a world he just doesn't feel like he understands or something or Anyway, I see Anna as this, like, yeah, really, really <laughs> tragic figure of someone who's just, like, traumatized. And I, I, I although we get a different story, I, I, I just imagine shame. Um, I mean, given, and Brody, you aren't aware, but the dream sequence in which she arrives on the shore, you know, in the boat full of dead bodies, is, is yep. the ending. It's like, it's, it's, it picks up right where shame left off. But, um. Anyway, I just see her as this, like, super traumatized, broken person who is, like, doing her darndest to try and reintegrate with narrative. But, like, whereas it came naturally to her the first time when she had a husband and kid and, like, that's just, like, oh, that's how life is, you know? Life is awesome. You know, like, it all was crumbled and now she's, like, trying her best to recreate it. But, like, it's so... I don't know. So what happens when she drops the milk? I mean, like, this is when Andreas is, like, thinking about his ex-wife and you know her hug the and stuff like that and yeah. then you know remembers her telling him that he's cancerous and he's you know gonna need radiation therapy his soul is evil or something and then she like uh, uh anna like picks up on this thing or something and is like what are you thinking about ex-lovers i hope not or something and he's like no i'm thinking about cancer it scares me and then there's like this weird silence where she just gets up, grabs the milk, and then just drops it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, I feel really bad for. her. I, I mean, feel like I she's annoying. Like I think she's like a nuisance. To your point, Brody, she's like a bit of a nuisance. But I think she's a nuisance because she's so messed up. Like she's uh, just like a she's insane as Andrea's diagnosis. As I,
0: as far or go, oh, sorry, go ahead. Man. I I just think
3: oh, no, I was just gonna
1: jaw goes okay, I, was talk okay. first. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I might be looking into this too much, but it's like she drops the milk, I'm innocent, sympathize for me. I don't know it's like I think what I just dis- what is
1: spilt milk again isn't it like like this making, making a like, fuss over the past or something,
0: uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Like you, it's you don't like, no no need to cry over no need to cry over spilt milk or whatever.
1: But she's spilling it, bro. She yeah. spilled
2: it. And now she's doing it. It's a lot of <laughs> milk too. No, she's crying. <laughs> <laughs> so true, actually. So true.
3: Yeah, I just I don't even I mean, I don't know, maybe there is definitely kind of some more direct, like maybe even on the nose, like symbolic meaning of like the spilled milk, but um I know every time I watch it, that part gets me good. Like she just drops it. And it's just so like, I don't know. It's just, it's just so like sharp and poignant and like sad and sudden and surprising. And then like the, hu- the immediate like embrace. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that the moment gets me. It seems Dude, good. When, I mean, when... it's
1: definitely sorry, just super quickly. It's definitely like some type of self-aware on the nose moment of like, they're both in the middle slash. Also, like their whole relationship, is like characterized by them crying over spilt milk and like not knowing how to put the pieces back together.
2: Yeah, I I was just gonna mention my like gut reaction when I saw that, like the immediate embrace, like I was just thinking about. Like if I was in that situation, I would like not do that. I'd be like, Why'd you drop it? <laughs> What's your problem? You're terrible, man. I know. Your wife is I'm gonna bad. hate you. And your wife yeah. I
1: know. You're gonna get married to some yeah, woman. She's, she's gonna, Child and she's, husband
2: gonna drop wearing, her she's gonna drop a, and she's a, wearing
3: a red bonnet and, she's wearing and you're gonna grab bonnet. her by the collar.
2: <laughs> and minutes later she's gonna, she's gonna drop milk one day And, and I'm you're gonna not say gonna Bazinga Gonna- I'm not gonna hug her when she drops the mill. Yeah, you're gonna just be swinging. On purpose, insider. by the way, when she breaks the nice glass bowl on purpose, <laughs> I'm not gonna hug her. I'm gonna say, why'd you drop it? Pick it up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Pick it up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Terrible. Did you just the... drop did you just
2: drop that on purpose? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, sorry.
3: I don't so I don't, don't think that it's, it's hurt. Inside. Okay, this is the thing. Is like, I feel like you could read it as her dropping it on purpose for like sympathy or something like that. But I saw it as like this uh, moment of her like uh, being just totally overwhelmed by emotion and then just like losing the ball. Yeah, you know, I see. It's like I can't like, do this. I can't okay. do. Yeah, yeah. It's like a. It's a moment of just complete defeat and like uh, submission to. I can't. Yeah, I can't do this. And yeah, because it comes off the back of him embrace. lying to her. and
1: like just bringing back to the forefront the fact that they cannot communicate and also i think part of that is it like brings into question both of their pasts like like was it is it really good memories right like obviously she lies about the memories and he lies about his memories yeah and like their current situation like reframes i think for them their their past life like Like they didn't realize the problem of separateness and like this the struggle between narrative and material until they experienced this trauma and now like their past is like reframed as like either a total lie or you know stuff like this like they're they're, this whole spilt milk thing i think is on the nose but in a software way all right i think it's time i think it's that part of the show where we non-specifically and very generally just talk about how pretty the movie is oh the cinematography the the lines <laughs> the, it's so beautiful Dude, wow the uh well i <laughs> i
3: love the the shot when he's like in when they're in the boat and he's like putting out the fishing net Dude, and you get like the close up of his hands all the outside stuff is like,
1: incredible and so textured i always yeah i always take extreme pleasure in the shot when the wheelbarrow gets stuck and they're unstucking it and it's just yeah. close up of this of the ground, and it's like super textured. There's all these like textured moments where it's close up on some material,
2: and like um. Wait, hmm? I was just gonna say like when that that texture, I thought I saw like blood or something. Maybe can I can you let me? I don't have the movie which, open.
3: Which part the of the, the
2: the part we're talking about? Uh, yeah, when they're get trying to get the wheelbarrow unstuck, it was like, and then I was like. I saw some like growth. I don't know. Here are your meds.
1: Medium rare, schizo. Yeah, <laughs> sorry.
2: <laughs> the
1: it's such a texture. No, movie. I mean it's, it's definitely wet. it's mushy and.
2: Yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling like a schizo right now. I should. Um. Also,
3: the whole film, most of the film, is like super underexposed too. Like, I don't know. Every yeah, everything feels like the texture and stuff. Like everything feels very gritty um but so warm which yeah it's so warm a cozy, yeah 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 like a cozy,
1: the cozy warm film and i think worth noting the opening shot right it's like what what is it you know oh, i yeah. love opening shots i am totally on the reddit train of like <laughs> you to you know uh what is it til the opening shot slash chapter of a book will tell you what the whole thing's about anyway but it's like all the everything <laughs> in the the first shot is supernaturalistic lighting right it looks almost like a home movie. He's like on the roof fixing the roof, right? What's this about? It's about a guy, you know, hasn't been tending to like, a, you know, he's about to become exposed to the elements. He's gonna expose to the right. He's like attempting to fix his shelter and the thing separating him from whatever. So yeah. But then and then he 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 takes pleasure in this beautiful sunset, and then with some extremely obvious editing right like the sun becomes super into focus and you can see the circle and then and then a cloud moves in and it all disappears and stuff like this you know
3: yeah there's like there's like definitely some kind of like uh awareness and integration into the well yeah that's kind of interesting because this whole this whole time i mean going back to like the 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 killing of the animals and stuff this kind of like constant awareness of kind of like the coldness and cruelty of the world like how we open it is that the 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 landscape that they live in, like the the kind of undeniable reality of their environment or whatever, is also extremely beautiful
1: and desolate. Classic photo. I want to go there so bad.
3: Yeah. Um, What a great place to shoot a movie and
1: live. I want to go to Bergman's house, dude. I want that life. Um, he. Oh yeah, just know, and I think what noteworthy about the supernaturalistic lighting is like the film gives you the sense, like the super documentary style naturalism and it's like we're just going to give you the truth right like like in some sense the opening sequence takes place in like bare reality or something yeah like it's, it's just supernaturally naturally is which... everything is natural and real and then obviously yeah. the film contains extreme sequences of unreality or like the interviews yeah. i was gonna say like the, the interviews the, where it's the like, sunset too huh? what
3: with with him and eva the sun coming through the windows like the mm-hmm. orange light yeah is insane, like it's like totally not real, yeah. So, but. there's
1: all this, like, what's it called, Brechtian? Like, there's these Brechtian elements, and then there's like the interview that tries to subvert the Brechtian elements, like where it's like, oh, here are the real actors talking about their characters, but then it says, like, take six, you know, and it's like, yeah, uh, just I don't know, interesting to say the least. But, and the colors, I love the colors. I also, the colors are so, it's such a warm film, such a warm, cozy, grainy, the- cozy fest. This is okay. Sorry, oh, sorry. I just <laughs> to say it's so, it's so it's so colorful and so nice, which is in stark contrast. Like, this film is actually, I feel like, so sinister and evil, but like really presents it in such a warm, cozy visual style. And I also realized last night that I accidentally watched uh, my monitor, I watched it on one of my monitors, and uh, I was like, oh my gosh, these colors are so strong, the greens. And like when, when, when they go to the ocean to help the guy, right? Like she's wearing this green coat against a sort of green water and and oh it's so beautiful and the colors are just so extreme. I'd never realized this before. And then I remembered that my my monitor is like totally miscalibrated and the contrast is like at hundred. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, but it's just such a such a warm, cozy film, and I think it's noteworthy that it contrasts, it's like super desolate. Like, mm, like, you know, you are fucked forever theme. <laughs> um,
3: the the uh This is probably the only film that has a, like, an orange and teal palette that not only doesn't get on my nerves or I don't mind it, but like, just looks amazing.
1: Who else does um, orange and teal? There's some director that like only does orange. Is it Christopher Nolan?
3: Every, every Action movie, Uh, you see 90% of movies you watch, like just modern film, like default is orange and teal. Um, but movies, modern movies, yeah, (laughs) not not film, these are movies, orange and teal, stupid head ass palette, stupid. (laughs) Um, yeah, they don't make modern films, (laughs) yeah. The color palette looks awesome. I, I love, like, all the, I love the, I love how bright and like uh uh just um like back to the texture and stuff like just um like red is is like red is like so vibrant and you get like this like with the blood with the sheep yeah and like her bonnet in that one scene is just like mm. so just like striking and like immediate and like it makes you want to take it off I don't or... know. Yeah <laughs> by hitting her the um take it off um, Max. I also, uh, to talk about the editing a little bit, um, one of like the, the like sharpest most, uh, uh, just like, I don't know, the, the kind of very quick and sharp and clean editing of the photography scene is amazing. And like, I love how you have this kind of slow pacing with the editing. And then you have moments like that where it's suddenly like it's all it's very confusing and it, it helps set up this environment where like Ellis is in total control of what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, and he's just walking around like taking photos Changing and like he's like he's he's got Andreas like where he wants him or whatever, and he's just the whole time he's like spouting all his like ideas or whatever about like photographing people and blah 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 and then and then dismantling them and it's just it's so. Uh, yeah I mean it just it just puts Ellis in this like position of like total control over him and the editing is so so great in like aiding that um, and like another moment in editing is like the the dog like finding the dog being hung in the forest that always makes me like shudder every time I watch this film um, yeah I don't know just good good editing
1: I love the photography scene. I'm trying to pull it up. Worth noting, Brody, you got to put this on the uh, the YouTube video.
2: Yeah, shout out to you shout out the YouTube channel.
1: Yeah, we got a YouTube channel, Brody. We got a YouTube you channel.
2: About? I I edit the videos. If you watch the the video version, whenever we talk about something super interesting and relevant, which is all the time, I have <laughs> <laughs> I have a an adjacent movie clip for whatever we're talking about
1: so look at this this one i love that this is the photo that alice decides you know like he's like this is the one of you right mm, and yes. it's such a good photo because it totally is it's so true it's so true this is andreas and like maybe we could looks like him. it looks like him at least anyway it's so andreas this is his face this is the face of andreas and the fact the fact that Ellis gets it so right, I think, is interesting and relevant relevant to Ellis as like the the character of artist, even though, uh, well, I don't know people like people describe the trilogy, and I, it seems pretty right to me. Is like it's characterized like there are three different artist as fugitive stories, mm-hmm. um, which is like. You know screamingly true in the first two and in this one i think it's harder to see where like andreas as the uh, the fugitive artist but anyway um uh, ellis as this artist character and he talks about like i don't pretend to reach people with my photographs like he just sees it as this like right he's putting together like he he's just a skilled rorschach like artist yeah. right I, like, I, he's like i, I love, just know i to put together remember. a shock such that i love when you look at it you see what you want or something like yeah this.
2: i love that i love that like you can't see like what people like any like faces can't communicate anything and he says look at this and he's like she's just getting a migraine here and it's like her, his wife like smiling and stuff yeah
1: yeah yeah he talks about how much is missed by the photo but he seems like yeah like um in in obvious contrast to bergman but like he doesn't see art as a method of communication. Yeah. He sees it right as like this um yeah yeah just this like Rorschach thing where it gives the sense of being communicated with. And uh anyway, I just love that he does it so good. Like this image I wish I could see the 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 picture version but uh <laughs> I just think it's noteworthy that he actually is super good at this. And like it yeah. it it like um i don't know maybe it's not a totally bad claim to say that that's what art is like or um like there's some element of that because like you think about like making art as like something intuitive or something like i don't know
3: i don't know i'm not i'm not totally sympathetic i don't think it's because i think i think i think
1: think it is a communicative thing and communication does take place but i think one part of this especially this incredible image we get of andreas is like could have fooled me you know
3: yeah I, i mean i think i think that it's um i mean if we were to take it out as like meta commentary on like bergman's own art and what he's trying to do uh i mean if you want to talk about like persona or something it's like this constant want to um disillusion the audience like to say like what i'm showing you is fake and like i mean yeah and like his whole like the thing that goes through all his films we talked about this like in life of marionettes is this like inability to communicate and being trapped inside and um I don't know. I mean, I, I the, the Ellis might be like an embodiment of like uh, Bergman's cynicism um, about like the the whether he's actually able to communicate anything yeah. with with yeah. his films. But but I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I I think that then you have, but then the film ultimately it like affirms like um, uh, Anna and Andreas. Or, like, or Anna's view in some sense, um, even though she's not an artist, but it's all about like expression, you know, and still about communication, and that, like, it's not so much that, like, this might be like a, a futile, um, goal, but, um, to pursue, but that it's like it is something worth pursuing or something like that.
1: Base chartre.
3: Yeah. Base chartre-
1: <laughs> Yeah. We, we happen to know for a fact Bergman is a Chartrarian um (laughs) chartarian we should use that more often honestly i mean that is yeah chartarian i
3: feel like okay this is the thing though is i feel like i feel like there's there's definitely somebody who's said it and is like that might be their like main point there's like anonymity of the artist or whatever um but uh so it's just kind of funny like calling it chartarian when there's probably actually a <laughs> I don't know a person to reference for it.
1: <laughs> I think what's noteworthy here that I don't think I've made clear is like or maybe just to add to that is Ellis doesn't think he's engaging in communication, right? But he actually is, at least from our point of view, right? Like he has captured this image of Andreas that shrinks true. Like like we think that's right. Right? Mm. Like, this is accurate, yeah. right? He didn't take a picture of Andreas where he's like, oh, you know, or like yeah. some stupid face, right? Or some other, right? There's all sorts sticking of this, looks and subtle faces doing, doing that he an could Einstein have captured, face. right? But he says, no, no, no. This is the one, right? Mm-hmm. But, but, and we say, yeah, that is the one, right? As if this art is actually going to tell the viewer about Andreas, right? Like, we say it's the one. We mean, right, this is the photo that captures Andreas the best. Mm-hmm. And so, like Ellis, although he thinks he's just making Rorschach tests, is actually effectively communicating about the content.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a discontinuity. Is that the right word? Uh, there about like what he's doing and like what he what he claims, because like you know he he's always like on about like oh yeah you know these these can't really like mean anything. This is a Rorschach test, and he's you know even in, he's like oh the categorization is like meaningless and things like that but he still does it all you know and his his main occupation is a creative endeavor um the, so yeah there's that def- there's something there's something something about that
1: or the flip side would be to suggest like make the audience realize like have this feeling of what are you talking about ellis like that photo's perfect you actually are communicating oh. but like this is just not taking him seriously enough where he's oh. like like uh like it just reaffirms that we are watching this film within the narrative frame and like uh he's this is him saying yeah i see i got you like like do you feel that this is right i'm really good at making shocks. like just mm-hmm. like or like bergman right like or there's some kind of oh, yeah, layers crazy because it's max
3: because it's actually max von siddow playing a character like this is this max von Sydow? Oh, you know like
1: am i like a movie <laughs> <laughs> the, me- the movie real <laughs> anyway there's something but there's something but
3: still though. this i don't know i
1: feel like this scene the the photography scene is like some type of definite like meta discussion of itself or like um is is bringing to bear the 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 art discussion into one condensed scene A lot of
2: hand motions going on in the call here. Yeah. Can I, uh, I'm gonna refill my coffee. All right, do we love
1: Liv Ullman?
3: Of course.
2: Yeah. It said Yeah,
3: Tanner, tell us a little bit about Liv Ullman.
0: You said talk about a little bit about, wait, talk a little bit? Just tell us how much you you love Liv Ullman.
1: Why do you love her?
3: Why is she so awesome?
1: Is it the
0: mommy vibes? Um. Yeah But she also She does such a good job of Making you believe In the character Of Anna She makes you sympathize with her I keep saying that word but I think it's Uh, I think it's Crucial to To uh, Her pursuit of truth
1: She's a terrible director though. I've not seen
0: a movie <laughs> by her.
1: I think I've seen some. I, that's not fair. I'm sorry, Liv. She's alive, Liv. I'm sorry. I know this is going to get. She's alive. Liv is
3: you. listening to this, and you just committed slander. Slander. You committed lie, wrong, lie, wrong thing. Wrong thing. Um. <gasps> yeah. No, Liv Ullman. No. Yeah, I agree. Just like I feel like if you had somebody who's just not as good. Um. To draw on recent experience with me and Troy that the uh, the way a part is portrayed like they could get part of it but like can if if their position isn't you're not sympathetic to their position then uh, uh yes. they uh it just it just ruins the whole thing like like I can imagine Anna being totally unlikable if played by somebody else. And yeah. like totally like like she like just going full, like she's just delusional, she's lying about her marriage, like she's just crazy, like Andreas, you gotta get out of there, and uh, yeah, I mean she she really does a good job of making you believe that she believes what she's saying,
1: all right, audience, I know you're listening, and I know you've seen this film, but you know to really hammer on the point of the magic of live, you know, you gotta go to the YouTube thing and just look at the thumbnail image, okay? Now I'm sure I'm sure when you saw this part of the movie, you just kind of were like, oh. But this is the fire. This is the fire behind the eyes of Liv Ullman. Okay? That face, I'm talking about the face she makes when she uh, when she like arrives at the car crash in her dream. And it's oh it's like on the uh, it's like on the posters for the movie and stuff like that, you know? Oh, it's so ridiculous. This is the face of power and trauma and and live hides it so well throughout this film. That's what this film's about. Don't be twisted. Don't be twisted. Don't be twisted.
2: Don't be twisted. Don't be twisted.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> fine. I'll be the one who acknowledges the obvious. The bird that crashes under the window pane and then they oh, put yeah. it out of their misery. Don't say, oh yeah, you don't know where I'm going with this, Brody.
2: No, I just forgot that it even existed, that like that was a part of the movie. <laughs> and I'm just messing with you.
1: You're just the only person who won't know what I'm talking about right now. But this obviously okay.
2: mirrors
1: a certain scene in Hour of the Wolf. Uh, what does it mean? Also, I don't know. I, I just want to talk about Hour of the Wolf. I don't recall. What
0: said? scene are you referring yeah. to? Let's just, let's just pivot.
1: So as to pivot. So as to uh, not spoil for <laughs> Brody. I'm thinking of a certain scene that takes place on some cliffs, on some cliffs near the water, and Max von Sydow's there. And uh, you know, okay, come on. Have you guys not seen you? Come on.
3: No, I know, I know, I know. Okay. I don't remember.
1: Okay, Max von Sydow does something bad on some cliffs. Okay, this is so, I can't. This is can't is so I can't. Ridiculous. Say
3: this we're not We're not doing, Wait, we're, we're not doing what, this. All right.
1: Time. If you can't say it explicitly, again? we're just. We should be talking about Hour of the about. Wolf. Okay, you know what? No. We should have watched the whole trilogy and had a 10 hour podcast bonanza. Uh, uh, Why didn't yeah. we do that? Why didn't we do that? I don't
3: know. I actually am down to do. Do we not right. have
1: the
2: guts? Do we not have the guts? We don't have the stamina. I, I do. I mean, I.
1: Oh, come on.
3: Well, most people proclaim to not have the schedule. Is the is the issue? A stupid.
1: Like,
2: oh, I, I got the schedule. I, I got,
1: got the time. schedule. Need
3: okay, wait, wait. Can't. Uh, I want to say something about the dream. Um, when she like, or uh, I love the moment when she, uh, walks up to this woman who she's just been told her mm. kid is going to be executed, and then she she says, "Please forgive me," doesn't she? She yeah, like
1: forgive me, felut me.
3: Yeah which is like
1: she had slapped
3: yeah i mean it's it what what do you well i don't i don't know what my take is because i mean i saw it as kind of like this is uh something like an encounter with somebody that she believes is suffering worse than her in that moment or something yeah and she's like forgive me for thinking my my suffering was not as great as yours which is some kind of uh it's it's almost like a christian like uh impulse yeah i definitely feel
1: when i watch it that it's some kind of christ moment where yeah yeah. she thinks like oh this person has suffered so much there or is in in such a moment of suffering like and and this just equates to like uh something of power or something you know and she's yeah like forgive me thinking that the woman is going to understand what she means and the woman's like get out of here like this isn't some game or something.
3: Yeah. Yeah, she gets, like, denied at the door. Yeah,
1: what a dream. I mean, she's just trying mm-hmm. to, like, connect with people and, please, stay with me, connect with me, please. I'm so traumatized getting off this boat. Like, Yeah, I and then she sees this woman and, and, and then she's, denied. like,
3: yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then she sees this woman and then she's just, like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm seeking for connection, but it's, like, I'm not even suffering compared to this woman or something like that the the opening to that sequence is so nuts i think of hour the wolf with the water yeah but that's yeah that yeah, opening the same shot I lo- yeah that 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 opening shot of the water in the dream like sets the stage yeah. so perfectly um it, that the whole the whole dream sequence is so hypnotizing and so like it feels so different from the whole thing like the whole rest of the movie it, it just like instantly feels like uh I don't know just something else i don't know every time i watch it, i'm just so like enthralled in this like moment um and then like when she screams or whatever uh when she runs up to the the car and screams i love that it's silent like i know i'm a big fan of that just like having the absence of sound where there should be sound it it just it makes the whole thing so much more horrifying and and, uh, disturbing and
0: yeah this is this is very this is very disturbing more than more so than Hour of the Wolf, I think.
1: Yeah, right? There's something... Like, I'd I think, agree. Yeah.
0: Go on. There there are many parts where I'm very spooked. <laughs> and yeah, I, like... Yeah. Go ahead.
1: No, I totally agree. Like, I think there's something that makes, like... Obviously, Hour of the Wolf is much more overtly spooky and, like, just nightmarish. But this film feels more like... Just, like, true evil nightmare human condition. Like but it's only ever like alluded to Mm -hmm. and like it's it's covered by this like narrative and story and like uh, attempts at communication but like lurking under the surface is like this like super sinister thing whereas in hour of the wolf like the the that anxiety and terror is like just on display the whole time
3: yeah it just it's like totally realized yeah rather than being rather than being this thing that that is underneath everything which i think that like uh, yeah for me hour the wolf like you get these moments that are like powerful moments that are like spooky or whatever but because it's taking place in like this kind of nightmare, nightmare this kind of unreality it doesn't have as like pungent uh 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 like punch or whatever as as uh as this does just because it's not it's not, it's not undergirded by this is real, you know, yeah. in, in, in the same way. No, it's definitely. like a little bit too fantastical or something.
1: Yeah, bro. It's like monster movies versus home invasion movies.
3: <laughs> <laughs> one of them might be way
1: scarier, but the other one could happen to you. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally agree. But I will say that the, the water shot that op- the dream sequence opens with, right? But more with reference to the OG water shot in Hour of the Wolf is probably like one of my favorite shots of all time like and i've only realized when i was watching it this time that like did they know what visual static was i guess you're right grain like like you know how it looks like static? what are you
3: saying I, I i mean yeah it looks like static but it's just grain
1: no 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 I mean, they, no, they no have, the water emulates the type of digital static we're more familiar with
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, they had TVs. Like they have a TV in the movie, dude. Like Yeah, it's true.
1: You know? I'm literally yeah. an idiot. All right, I'm stupid, I'm sorry. Anyway, stupid. I love the water shot. Just this <laughs> this perfect image of like the like like chaos and nature like so intertwined and like just just, you know, she she rolls in on this boat on the sea of chaos in a boat full of dead bodies. And like gets off onto land an unfamiliar place and like um you know is on her journey for order or something i don't know it's just so fantastic i love the wa- hour of the wolf water shot uh that scared me straight good What? seriously when i saw it for the first time i know i know it's just It just terrifying
3: yeah it's pretty it's it a pretty horror the whole sequence is horrifying um yeah, what was I gonna say? I was gonna say something about how cute the puppy uh, is. Oh, pint dude, sizes, pint size.
2: dude. Yeah. Were any animals harmed in the making of this film? Yes, dude. Probably. I yeah. I, like, I swear, oh my god, that's all, no, this, I this think, all just happened. Just kidding. I think, I think they did Bergman do it himself. I've
1: seen a bunch of movies recently where there are dead animals in it that I am 100% certain are actually dead animals. Like, I think, I think in this case, it's. There's sheep that are dead and then they, you know, stage the dead bodies. Yeah. But, oh, Hanukkah, Hanukkah films. I swear they're actually killing animals in those films.
3: Yeah, do you get to sacrifice the animals for aesthetic uh, aesthetic transcendence or something?
1: And then obviously Tarkovsky, they kill a horse. On scene or on on. And wow. then
3: and then in also Tarkovsky, they kill the entire cast and crew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: It's a bummer, Steve yeah, could not the- be here. He met. He told me he felt like there were similarities between sacrifice and this film. And I mentioned oh. that obviously, *Sven Nightfist* is like a huge common denominator. But um, I think he had more to say.
2: Yeah, when I was watching Pint Size get hung, I was thinking about if, like, there was some trickery there. About maybe he was, like, actually on a stool or something. I maybe. think so. so if, somebody was, if somebody was holding him. Yeah, like, I think he... Maybe they yeah. legit he's got, like, a like, hand
3: under his butt, and they're, like... Yeah, like, yeah I think they just, had a yeah, hand under his Shaking him around. They would never, never hang Pint really Size. Dead. They would never hang Pint Size. And then he gives him milk after. I love that scene. Yeah. He, like, gives him milk, and he's, like something good for you she, to eat and sp- like
2: she spills it ah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: she spills pint sizes food no. and then he gives pint size to eva i was kind of disappointed i wanted more of pint. i size. wanted more pint
1: so, size too yeah yeah i just want to bring up to reinforce previous arguments that this whole because i said earlier that like humans are compared to animals and just a more obvious case is when the bird right hits the window and they put it out of its misery and then Anna is all like, we had to kill it, right? And Andrea says, yeah, it was too injured. Just like Anna is. And then, yeah. then well, and and she's like, what was it doing out at night all alone or whatever? I forget what Andrea says. but
3: You also have, uh, what's his name? Who we haven't talked about at all. The guy who kills himself. Johan. Or we've kind mm, of talked yes. about. Yeah, Johan.
2: What a great and guy. He, guy uh, yeah.
3: I mean, he he hangs himself. Uh, I mean, I don't know if there's any relevance to the dog being found hung, yeah. and he's hung by the person who's slaughtering the animals, and, I mean, Johan ultimately kills himself because of, like, the, like, chain of events, like, uh, because of people killing the animals. So yeah. All this. So but the... yeah, we gotta put Johan out of his misery, in, dude.
2: In that, <laughs> in that scene, he's too I, injured. Was just, I was I so was thinking, I was so, I was so angry at the people who was, um uh like tormenting Johan uh-huh. because it's like you know, and I'm sure this is, you know, uh explicit in the film, like is uh this isn't a big brain take or anything, but like, you know, how like what they were doing to him is like you know, worse or as bad as like what you're doing to like the animals and stuff like this. But it's like in service of this like justice for these animals. But they're just Yeah dude Peter got ru- him they're, they're absolutely just ruining this guy's life. Yeah, and peen on his face.
1: When when they when Pied they up. uh,
2: when in his letter
1: he's like, uh, you know I told them whatever they wanted to hear to confess. You know. Yeah. I think this was a subtle homage to uh, this Netflix
2: documentary I saw. A subtle homage <laughs> to this like obscure like Japanese film or something. No, i some some obscure. obscure
3: <laughs> what even was the? The joke.
0: Netflix has like a billion
1: documentaries wherein people confess because they're being threatened by police or something. Whatever, it was stupid. I was trying to be the person who
2: like I haven't seen.
1: Trying to like you know like they're like oh this reminds me of this like actually real important thing. When in reality, (laughs) when in reality (laughs) the opposite is (laughs) true. This film, this film is worth a million times more than any real life scenario. You can't
2: make that judgment. Who are you God? You can't you can't make value judgments. So true. Not objective Actually, so I saw Dogville and I can. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> true. You're right. All right, are we right, going guys, off the rails time here? To talk,
3: time to talk about Bergman and his children.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh is that it? Are we running out of steam here, or we're just we're just? Yeah. I, mean, I mean I don't know. Something... I mean
3: I think there's more to talk about, but I don't know if we're just gonna be repeating most of the points we've said.
2: I don't because I think, think we of... I think we got who it. Guys. Killed think... uh, who it killed the animals
1: and why was it? the animals?
2: Dude, I I was and why was at, it? Who? At the, right when I was done watching the movie, I was I was looking up analysis, you know, like how I do. Yeah, like and, and the ending. Explained. Yeah, ending explained, and I was so disappointed. They're like so like. Who who killed the animals? Like who's the real killer? It's like, look, I'm, I'm like, like not the brightest guy, but I can tell <laughs> you that that's not what the movie's about. Like that's just, that's not something that's like really worth exploring, dude, dude. Too heavily. Does the
3: does the top fall over, Brody? Does it fall over at the end?
2: <laughs> oh right, yeah.
1: The uh, okay, well I I actually uh i think i'm like unconsciously avoiding addressing the last the true last words of the film where it's like this time his name was andreas Winkle oh, yeah. or whatever really oh worth noting that. his name winkle uh means cornered or means corner mm. so he's in his Winkleman. so he's a he's a, he's a cornered man
2: okay does it mean corner or cornered
1: uh it means angle slash corner so he's like a corner man Angleman, okay. you know, but he he's, he's, is he is he standing on a corner or
2: is he in a, a corner? Math guy? He's in a corner, baby. Okay. Also, anyway, so what does that mean? Is
1: it referring to like, like my my best guess, which isn't a very good one, or it doesn't sound inspiring? It's just like, here we have the final of three films, each about the same man and woman. Uh, and this time he his name was Andreas, but in the last film his name was Jan, and in the one before oh. that, I, what's his name in Hour of the Wolf? I don't know. His name is Jan and Shane, right? Uh, I think so. Anyway, that's my best guess, but that
2: seems like a little
1: uh, underwhelming. And I, I like my take
2: better. What's your take? Remember, it was like this, like I was comparing like him to like killing the relationship to like killing of the animals. It's like so this time, the killer. This time his name was Andreas Winkleman. That was mine. No, I'm, I'm, not,
3: not, I'm it. not I'm not gonna lie. I'm not on board. With yeah, that. I just don't. Right, I just yeah. don't get
2: it. I don't get it either. Uh, so he, <laughs> um,
3: I don't know. It could be something like, I mean, you have this whole like, uh, like maybe the important thing is that he says the whole name, you know, and that like the name of her previous husband was Andreas, and this time his name is Andreas Winkelmann. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um. And Troy is showing us his custom-made Bergman phone case right now, interrupting what I'm saying. Sorry. Sorry. Just kidding. Um,
2: Dude, can I put your phone? But case I mean,
3: I don't know. I don't imagine? know if you guys. If you, I, I don't. I don't know how strongly I feel about that. But that just struck me as possibly why.
2: Sounds better than mine. I actually quite like yours because of the similarities.
3: Should we settle on it being the actual interpretation yeah. of a piece of this art? is
2: this is the correct interpretation. This is the gavel concrete. It, yeah, gavel slams.
3: The narrative has been decided. Case closed. Yeah. Case closed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Movie solved. Ending explained. Like We
3: need to come up with an algorithm that does this podcast for us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we just say everything we an want, AI. and then this machine... Puts it pieces it together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We just record not, not
1: in... saying like a thousand to two thousand different words and then it, it, it puts it all together and, then... <laughs> all
3: and right. everyone has their classic takes. Brody says how much he didn't like the film. I say cause... how
1: much I didn't get it. Alright. Uh ending thoughts then? And then yeah, we I have so. and then don't leave though, audience. We have some extremely exciting news to share with you. Okay, so <laughs> uh, closing thoughts. Okay. I still love this movie. I actually am not so sure. I think I do th- I remain thinking that it is I think that there might be a bit getting lost in translation in terms of like this huge big brain operation. in some ways, Like, I'm just comparing it to Hour of the Wolf, where I'm thinking of Hour of the Wolf as, like, the distilled, more um, focused piece or something. Although I think each film is substantially different, right, in terms of what it's trying to cover. It's not trying to say the same thing three times. I don't know. I think Passion of Anna provides, like, a much better look at separateness and, like, the problems of communication and definitely makes it much more real in a way that makes me scared. Like... I, there's some part of the film oh pretense there, Anna has this line where she describes her previous idyllic relationship as having no pretense, and obviously it contrasts their current relationship, which is just basically just pretense, and uh like that stuff like hit, hits home for me and makes me like worried about like I don't know my relationships stuff going forward, so it definitely. The more real aspect is awesome. And then I really do just love how cozy and visually warm and nice it is. And like the contrast of that and this like under the surface hell uh, that is like meant to describe our lives. Seems about accurate to me. So I'm going to give this film. Oof, it's a toughie and I don't know what I have it as now or currently, but I am going to give it a. You guys are really putting me on the spot here, man. Yeah. I'm going to give it a 3.9. I don't know. Really? I, I don't know. If, uh... I thought it'd
0: be way higher. Wow, all right, all right, all right, all right.
1: It's a must watch. I'm giving it a four.
3: Okay. Um, I love this film, as I said before in the beginning. I have a big soft spot for it. Uh, and Bill Bergman's uh, filmography. And like like any Bergman film, I feel like gets better the more you watch it the more you think about the themes and like the more they become applicable to your own life like often i'll watch a film and like this one in particular or i mean i don't know just bergman films in um general every time i revisit them there's like some new problem or like argument that i've had with like a uh, uh somebody who's close to me or, like significant other and like uh th- everything becomes like refreshed and relevant again um in the film in a way that's um kind of just astonishing and like uh how well it describes things um it describes like very real relationships um uh so yeah it's definitely a must watch um i'm gonna give it a four point four Actually, you know what? Whoa, no. Uh-oh. 4.5. 4. Oh Whoa.
0: Whoa. big changes. <laughs> big score. Big score. Um I still also really like this movie. I don't I'm just I'm just very impressed by it. Um when I think of a Bergman world, this is the movie I think of. Um And I I think I engaged with it almost surface level and not as deep. But I still appreciate it. And it's like a movie. I feel like I can watch it over and over and over again. So I will give it a 4.4. 4.4. Okay. I
2: really like this film. But I'm giving it a 3.9. Um, and because I didn't engage with it, it wasn't as a visceral grabbing of an experience as I'm, uh, as I would give some of the other films that I've rated over a four. And, uh, four is a, four is a real threshold for me. If it's reaching over the four or something, I feel something really special about it. Um, and it, it just, it just, yeah, it just misses that category for me. Um, with no, yeah, no real explanation for it other than just, like, visceral mm-hmm. level, really.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think you will watch it again and find it to be better because, like, uh, I agree it's, like, a, a, a much more reserved feeling film and, like, takes a little digging to get at, like, the super sinister ideas at play or something mm-hmm. and, like, that that works together, but also, I want to throw out because our audience may not be aware of the of Bergmanopolis, but this is easily one of his most underrated films. Like hands down, everyone wants to talk about Seventh Seal and Cries and Whispers and Fanny Alexander. No one wants to talk about this movie, but this movie is. Uh, I'm with Joll on this one. When I think about the Bergman verse, this stands out to me. Um, does that seem fair? to you guys think? I mean. Yeah, no, I agree. On this
3: one I think is definitely one of his better films and is one of my favorites and I don't think it's just because of personal taste. Um, I think it's because it is actually one of his better films and I don't know, it surprises me that it's not it's not like included when talking about the, the heavy hitters of Bergman's
1: career. Obviously Life of the Marionettes is his most underrated film because literally no one liked that movie. Hmm. And no one talks about it, but anyway. Alrighty, exciting news. Uh, You know, I'll believe it when I see it, but allegedly, and good reason to believe, we are going to have an extremely special guest for next week's episode. Uh, You may know him from TV. You may know him from his (laughs) academic research. He is... I'm not going to say his name because... You know, maybe he'll flake out when he realizes we're literally sueds but <laughs> uh, you know when 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 he discovers that we're we're seriously morons, maybe he'll just bounce out and it'll be an unrecordable episode. but we're having a we're having a a real big brain on the show to talk about uh uh I don't think Brody's seen it. Tanner has John has I have wings of desire, Veeam vendors, Wings of Desire. One of the only films I've ever given a five out of five to. So excited! Join us next Spoiling week. Spoiling the score, huh?
2: Spoiling your score.
1: Well, I currently have it at a five out of five. Maybe I'm not gonna like it anymore after you know this expert right. soils it for us. Yeah, and he breaks it down. Anyway, <laughs> for the first time, we are gonna have an actually esteemed guest. And uh, for all you Sorry. hardcore fans out there, who want to do some, uh, you know, you know, you want to, you want to decrypt my, my cryptic messaging. Uh, he is mentioned by name on the Wikipedia page for the film. So yeah. <laughs> we, that's, serious. that's we really got him. Okay? So, really him. so tune in next week. Um, yeah, check out the uh, check out the YouTube. Brody's putting in
2: extreme man
1: hours to deliver
2: yeah, high put, quality content.
1: Put check out
2: the website. We website. Have a, oh we have We're a website. Have a, we have a website. It's soon. The plan is it's going to become like a pseudo Roger Ebert where we will have a review section where there'll be some scores and some writings on there. Uh, hopefully, I can get that done if I'm competent enough. Yeah, so we're, we're, gonna be,
1: we're pumping out content. We're writing essays.
2: You know, the podcast got We got huge, big names, huge yeah. things happening here huge. at Cinematocologically Speaking.
1: Yeah, the podcast is for the dummies. If you really want the big brain, our real yeah. big brain thoughts, you have to read our essays and <laughs> academic writings, that, which don't exist. Which yeah. will exist. <laughs> which
2: will exist. Should we tell them? No, we're we going from our gigantic library. Exactly. I mean, I link it. I link in the YouTube version every time, so it's in the description, and then hopefully Troy will put it in the podcast.
1: speaking dot com.
2: Yeah, you heard it here first. All right. All right.
1: Bye! Goodbye! Bye! Bye! Bye.